This episode is sponsored by Angular Dev Summit, coming September 11th through the 18th, 2017. Hi, it's Chuck from devchat.tv. I reached out to some of my friends in the Angular community to put on a completely free, no travel conference for Ruby developers. We have speakers like Rob Wormald, Jeff Welpley, and others coming to speak about all kinds of topics in Angular. So if you're trying to learn Angular or you're trying to level up Angular, come check it out. The talks are happening throughout the day each day and we'll have a chat available during each session. Attending the talks is free, but you need to register. Go to angulardevsummit.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another MyJS story. This week, we're talking to Mike Hostetler. Mike was on episode 133, which was like two and a half years ago. Mike, welcome to the call. Thanks for having me here. Excited to be here. Yeah, no problem. So I know the listeners are pretty familiar with this, but you know, I'm just going to kind of reiterate it for people who are new to the show. We just talk to people in code. I've been getting my co-hosts and guests from JavaScript Jabber to just come on and tell their story, how they got into code and things like that. And hopefully people kind of get the idea that everybody's in this. They're all people. Nobody's special. It's just, hey, look, we all are good at different things. And yeah, that the coding is a community of, of people. So... It's so true. It's so true. It's yeah, it's cool to tell everybody's story and it, it makes it real. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So the first question that I typically ask is how did you get into programming? Great question. So funny story. We got our first computer when I was five or six, 286 IBM clone that just had a command prompt that I didn't know how to do anything with. Spent several years trying to figure out how to code with it until I stumbled onto a QBasic book at our local public library in uh -huh. junior high, which by the time our computer had been upgraded since then, and we had Windows 3.1, and I could see one of those awesome 16-bit color icons on the, the Windows desktop at the time, a little QBasic icon. And being the inquisitive child that I was, clicked on it, figured out that I had no idea how to code it, but this was coding. And <laughs> nice. This was what I wanted to do and found a book at the library and, and began teaching myself how to code with QBasic. Quickly tried to graduate into Borland C++, which at the time was incredibly expensive to buy the books that would mm -hmm. teach you how to code. So I stuck with QBasic for a number of years, found the internet, early high school and downloaded the Mosaic browser and started coding HTML, early, early nasty JavaScript, late 90s. Can't say I coded anything with it, but I at least touched it. And then went off to college to get a computer science degree. Awesome. Yeah, well, C++ and QBasic are a little different from each other anyway. So They are. There was a steep learning curve to C++. So I just stuck with QBasic and uh, a friend and uh, a school friend and I built a couple of text adventure games with QBasic at the time and uh, lots of uh, let statements and go statements and oh yeah, all sorts of fun. Oh yeah, definitely fun. <laughs> That's the word I would use. Um, anyway, so yeah, it, it's just, it's interesting, you know, you kind of came into it the same way that I think a lot of people come into it. It's like, oh, this is a cool hobby. This is something that's really interesting to me. Um, and then and then it's like, oh, wow, I could actually build a career out of this. 
that was really kind of the journey. I when I was late high school, I had some time on my hands and it was the late 90s. The dot com boom was in full swing and I decided that I knew enough about coding at the time that I was going to try to get a job. This was before I even went to college. And I ended up finding web development companies in the phone book and calling each one of them, trying to explain that I and my like 16-year-old self could help them code and build websites. And ended up landing a job. I was literally paid minimum wage. Oh wow! To build HTML sites, a lot of you know one by one pixel transparent GIFs, uh, coding HTML by hand in Notepad, and but I was coding and getting paid for it, and uh, ended up working for that company for my first couple years at college as well. Oh, nice! Yeah, working working through school with that with that uh, knowledge. That's awesome. I, I was an IT not necessarily in uh, development. So cool in college, but yeah, um, interesting stuff. And uh, yeah, so you, you got your computer science degree. How did you wind up doing JavaScript then? So after college, the job that I landed was, I, I had this interesting background where I, my college career had been spent half on the Microsoft side and learning Microsoft technologies, and then half on the open source side and learning the, it wasn't called this at the time, but the LAMP stack. Right. And I landed a job converting sites from Microsoft technologies to a LAMP stack because <laughs> I had both of those keywords show up on my resume, I guess. And that at that time required hand coding JavaScript. This was again, early days let's see, just to give you some time frame, this was like 2004, 2005, mm -hmm. intimately familiar with the pain that was JavaScript at the time. And <laughs> the next role, uh, we were building a, a custom mapping application, mm -hmm. which was, you know, think of it like a, a single page application circa 2005, which heavily relied upon JavaScript. This was, think, you know, client-side, object-oriented. There was no frameworks, um, mm -hmm. but it was enough script to, it, it built a URL that called a custom CGI to render this map. Um, so it was a heavy kind of single-page app, what we call single-page app today. So again, what the the mild annoyance of JavaScript in 2004 became the searing hot death of pain in building this app 2005 and uh, immediately jumped in and started using the early JavaScript frameworks, prototype, a little bit of move tools. And the role that I was in next, we were building a touchscreen capable device it, that was, it was on a small, uh, it's like a tablet style device. And so mm -hmm. we needed custom plugins to provide, uh, you know, like the highlight uh, effect, a focus effect around a button mm -hmm. as you would either, you know, use arrow keys to move up and down or push the button. We needed, I needed to write a plugin to do that. And jQuery had been just released. 
And it had this fantastic plugin model that I was able to write a plugin that improved upon what Prototype had done. So I stripped out all the Prototype code, threw jQuery in there, wrote a plugin to navigate the this interface by a keyboard, and the rest is history. Nice. It's funny. I mean, you're talking about uh, Moo Tools and <laughs> Prototype, and man, that, that that takes me way back. I mean, I got into Ruby on Rails in 2005 or 2006, and yeah, I mean, some of that stuff was so painful, and those toolkits made things so much easier. I mean, they just... Oh, they did. Oh, they, they did. They hid so much just cruft, and yeah, it was it made a huge difference. And then jQuery. Oh, life was so great under jQuery. Yes. Life, life definitely changed for the better under jQuery. Yep. But but yeah, I mean, you know, we're we're coming up into, you know, kind of a different age of JavaScript. So um, you know, what what is what have been your contributions or you know, what things have you done that are interesting with JavaScript over the last what, 10, 13, 15 years? Oh man, that's quite the time frame. I would divide that time frame into two sections. Mm -hmm. The first was participation on the jQuery project. That was a big part, released several plugins. If you've ever used the jQuery plugin site, the old site, uh, that was my a big contribution and, and ended up running infrastructure for jQuery for a number of years. jQuery launched my business career, I could say, mm -hmm. and switched into being an entrepreneur uh, around 2009. And since then, I've contributed in various ways through speaking and training and uh, leading trainings, writing articles. I was a co-author on the jQuery cookbook. Mm -hmm. um, so shifted more into what I, I wouldn't call a, a direct in the trenches contributor role, but more of a community contributor role. Mm -hmm. And then as Node began to get more popular, uh, I switched my attention to Node. And in, in the Node world, I found um, a lot of interest and passion around the Sales.js project, which was a, uh, a Node framework that made it easy to build express-powered apps with Node and, mm -hmm. and mimicked a lot of the convention over configuration elements of the Rails framework, Sales, Rails, that wasn't yeah. an accident. And... Uh, spent a lot of time contributing to that project and getting to know that community. And then that morphed into a ES6 rewrite of sales called the Trails framework. Again, <laughs> kind of see a theme here. Right. Um, and I've, I've been participating on the outskirts of the Trails framework for a while and still doing a lot of community level stuff. Um, and currently, I am the organizer of the Chicago Node.js meetup, which I enjoy doing quite a bit. And then a kind of a small time contributor to the Trails framework. Awesome. So I just want to go back a little bit to the, the jQuery community stuff that you did and, you know, the plugins website and all of that stuff. I mean, I use that stuff. I mean, what's it like to work on a project that so many people use, you know, for critical stuff? for their work, is it, I would assume that it's a little bit 
I don't know, you, you get a little bit overwhelmed with the idea that, oh, this goes down and people are going to be mad or, you know, but it's uh, also got to be a fun challenges too. It's, it's fun challenges. And I, I, this may, I, we really didn't think about it too much. We were just having fun and solving our own problems and we made the community's problems, our problems. Mm -hmm. And so the gravity of what we were working on, you know, it just didn't hit us at all, very much until jQuery 1.4. And this was a moment I'll, I'll never forget. We were, if everybody remembers the, the glorious trumpets of jQuery and the 14 days of jQuery, <laughs> it was an online conference. We all recorded talks and we're releasing a talk a day for jQuery that was going to culminate in the 1.4 release of jQuery. And I was setting up and managing the servers. And I remember I was doing some last minute web server configuration. And John had tweeted that 1.4 was ready, pointing to jQuery.com. And the web server just, it just ground to a halt. Oh, wow. And to see the traffic come in off of a tweet that this piece of code was ready was was really this moment of whoa we there's there's a lot coming in to to you know take down an entire server at the time uh things like slash dot effects style off of a tweet when the new jquery was ready it was that's where it started to get real and but we were three years into it at that point so wow so I just, I kind of want to imagine because, you know, when jQuery was hitting its heyday, I was sort of new. And so, I mean, what was it like just being in that environment, you know, with all of these people that we kind of think of as top minds in the JavaScript community? Again, I, you know, I think this, this speaks to the theme of this show and that they were, they were normal people, Right. Um, uh -huh. and still I, I remain friends with a lot of them. Our families have gotten together. We've, we've connected and they're, they're great friends that I have, um, friendships that were made during that time that, you know, even as life takes you down different roads, you continue to maintain and, uh, continue to, you know, have those moments where you connected and, and did something that you can really look back on with a lot of pride and again, just good feelings all around. And, but I, I, I would underscore that they're just, you know, normal people that were in a place where they made the choice to lean in and contribute and engage at a time where those contributions ended up becoming popular. And but the as I look back on it and I reflect on it and I look at I, I kind of try to take that experience looking back and, and sh how do I reflect it going forward? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, my feeling now is very much again, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to show up, I'm going to contribute. I'm going to push that pull request. I'm going to, you know, help this person out. I'm going to contri continue contributing to the open source community because that's, that's just who I want to be about. And it doesn't matter to me whether it gets popular or it doesn't, uh, whether it does or it doesn't. It, it's 
that's not what I'm, what I contribute for is not to get popular, not to try to recreate a jQuery type experience. It's to, you know, help the junior developer that is learning ES6 for the first time, uh, solve a syntax error. I, and by focusing on and doing that stuff every day, I feel like I kind of, I continue kind of carrying forward that experience that we had and, and paying it forward. Uh, because then the, the things I, I was explaining this to a person uh, just an hour ago and I said, well, I was kind of there at the dawn of the JavaScript Renaissance, mm -hmm. right? That's, that's what I call it now. And it was an awesome experience to watch it happen in real time. Mm -hmm. As we watched the rebirth of this language that has now taken over the world, we didn't quite know what was happening. Uh, I didn't know what was happening. I appreciate it a lot more now. But again, it was very just real people doing their thing. Mm -hmm. And um, it, yeah, it, it's it, it just it's cool to look back on. And it's a I try to pay it forward by continue to contribute and, and helping out the community where I can. I think it's interesting that you say that. And if people want to go back and listen to them, I mean, we did episodes with Michael Rogers and Isaac Schluter, you know, talking about Node and NPM, which is part of this kind of explosion of JavaScript. And they both talk about these projects in kind of the same way, right? It was people mm -hmm. getting together, hey, we want JavaScript on the server. Or uh, mm -hmm. Isaac said, well, the first version of NPM was just a script or two that made it easier to package up JavaScript, right? Yep. And so it was nothing fancy, but then they just kept solving problems. And, and that's kind of where we wound up. And I think a lot of people, you know, they kind of romanticize a little bit the history that we have in JavaScript. And the reality is, is, yeah, you guys were just in the trenches, you know, picks and shovels getting crap yep. done because, hey, well, this kind of sucks this way and it's a lot nicer this other way. And, oh, if we do this, then it's easier on people to write code. And, and, and that's that's what's awesome about it. it. That's exactly right. And I think the other point I was going to make is that from my perspective now, having several years of this under my belt, one of the uh, interesting things that I've learned is that technologies come in waves. Mm -hmm. And it's important to understand and respect those waves. jQuery was a wave, but jQuery's wave focused its energy into a JavaScript wave. And right. I think that's a really critical point because, you know, if you remember PhoneGap, the contributors to PhoneGap, I remember saying that they had, their project had succeeded when it wasn't needed anymore. Mm -hmm. They were trying to work themselves out of the need. They they were trying to impact mobile browsers and improve the mobile web browsing experience to the point that it was so good. The APIs were available natively in the browser that a shim like PhoneGap wasn't needed anymore. And as I look back, I see the waves rolling through and certain people catch a contribution wave. I mean, like, and you can see them now. React is on the upswing. Mm -hmm. Node is in an interesting spot because 
they've been on the upswing for many years, but the applications to which Node solves problems is growing. Right. So they continue to grow. But there's pockets of Node that, again, are on the edge that, you know, there's new work that can be done. So as I look back, I think as as somebody who I've had a shot to be at the forefront of a wave mm -hmm. and got to see it, for anybody else it, that may be listening, it, find a spot where there's new ground that you can contribute to and just dive in and do what you can to solve a problem, to make it better, to, and you'll, you'll catch your wave. Yep. So yeah. And then sales and trails and, you know, these, these frameworks, again, I mean, it's, you know, we've seen an explosion of frameworks too, both on the front end and back end. And I'm curious, you know, how do you, how do you pick the one that you think is going to win the one that's going to make the most difference? Or do you just find the one that makes, makes things easiest on you and just go for that? So that's an interesting question. There was this epic Reddit thread about, you know, node frameworks in 2017 and that listed out all the possible frameworks. And there's a lot of them. And it's, it's you know, the classic answer is use the right tool for the right job. But uh -huh. I, have a, I have a deeper answer that I always look to in that node has grown so big that different frameworks are built and speak to different people on the learning curve of Node. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that Node has done is they have this culture of really running away from any monolithic one-size-fits-all solution. I, I mean, even in the, the Ruby community, there's a lot of air sucked out of the room by Rails. There's, That's true. There's a couple of others, but how many of you could name two or three other non-Rails Ruby frameworks, other than Sinatra. You got to take Sinatra off the list. I could, Again, but I live in that space. Exactly. Thank you for making my point. I think the same goes in, but the, the thing that has happened in Node is that Node, the community of Node and people like Isaac and Michael have made sure that we make space for an incredible diversity of solutions and frameworks. And yes, you can go to NPM and find the best in class for this. But even then, it's not going to be a one-size-fits-all package mm -hmm. that does everything under the sun. That's generally frowned upon. And I think as a community principle, that is a tremendous benefit to Node. And the anti-pattern is, what is the best framework of 2017? Well, that's the wrong question in the Node culture. Mm -hmm. It's not what's the best framework. It's not even what's the best framework for the job. It's take a look at your team, take a look at your project. What framework can you be most productive in? And what framework can you contribute back into the community with? And, 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 and that I think, again, is, is one of the key reasons that Node itself has remained and, and continues to grow in popularity. Right. So what what is your role currently then on sales and trails? So I, I'm not contributing at all to the sales project at the moment. I've been focusing on, on the trails project, and I've written a couple of trail packs or the equivalent of plugins. I've uh, messed around with GraphQL a little bit and act as a, you know, helping solve, uh, answer questions in the Gitter chat, 
Mm-hmm. They, they just contribute in small ways. Right. So um, I'm, I'm going to deviate here onto another tangent. If people want to feel like they're contributing to a community like rails or sales or trails <laughs> or, uh, you know, whatever they feel like maybe the next jQuery is that's solving their problem. Um, what, what are the best ways for people to do that? Especially people who feel like, you know what, I don't have a lot to, a lot of expertise to give here. So uh, my top list for this is look at what you're using day to day and start with those projects. Uh, go on to Stack Overflow, subscribe to tags where you can answer questions. Every answer on Stack Overflow is a contribution. Go and watch, subscribe to the issue queues for the projects that you use. Just even sharing your experience with how you used it, how you solved the problem. There's somebody that you can reach down to and answer a question that takes the burden off of one of the lead maintainers. Mm-hmm. So start there. Get involved in their Gitter chats and listen, watch, stand on the sidelines and see what's going on, how the community works. The next step. You know, if you see a problem, submit a pull request, see, you know, listen to see what the roadmap is, what you can contribute in terms of adding a new plugin. If there, if there's a plugin architecture, maybe you can add some, like a, a lot of projects need help in infrastructure and, you know, adopting or uh, like in their build scripts to produce better written code. You can document for them. Again, these seem like, Maybe not the the interesting, sexy things to do in a project, but a lot of people, if you wait for the sexy thing to do, you'll mm-hmm. never get there. Right. So find where you can lend a hand, chip in. There's a lot of ways to do it if you know where to look, but you know, start there, just ask, be humble, contribute, and you'll find your way. Gotcha. So remember, oh, oh, one more one more mm-hmm. tacking on to that. I mean, remember open source is fun. If it becomes a drag, you're doing it wrong. Right. It, it should be the, the one thing that's fun to do after work that should, and look for the opportunities that align with what you like to do. And, and so it's a fun, happy experience. Yep. I completely agree. So what are you working on now? So currently I am, uh, have taken on a, a new role as director of technology, uh, front-end technology at Raise, we're a gift card marketplace startup here in Chicago. And it's, a, it's an interesting shift for me. I've been in startup world for many years, and this is a, a return into uh, more of a, a – it's not a corporate setting. They're definitely a startup, but more mm-hmm. of a formal large team environment, which has been a lot of fun. And my big focus there is we're, we're rebuilding the front end of Rays on a microservice Node.js and Go service architecture and doing some really cool things with front end performance. Uh, we've enlisted the help of some folks over at Google and the web performance team to give us some feedback. And if you're, uh, Again, I'll make the quick plug. We're always hiring. If you're looking for a really cool remote okay role, doing some really pushing the boundaries, the kind of thing that we'll be talking about at conferences soon, uh, type work for a cool startup, 
please feel free to reach out to me on Twitter or uh, on Raze. And so that's that's kind of the one big project. And then my side project at the moment is a website called modernweb.com where we help connect companies with vetted teams of software developers. And we then tell the stories of those software projects to the hypothesis is that a lot of us developers, we're great at writing code. We're terrible at telling the awesome things that we do. Right. And there's a lot of unsung heroes, a lot of unsung stories in development. And so Modern Web exists to tell those stories. And the great side effect that happens is that companies want to work with you when you tell your story. So we help complete that circle. Nice. So, so yeah, so if people want to uh, get involved in uh, Modern Web, you know, if they have a company that either needs the help or can give the help, is there a good way to get involved there? Yep. Go over to modernweb.com and you can contact us through the website or you can drop me an email, mike at modernweb.com. Gotcha. And then as far as Raise goes, I just want to clarify, how do you spell that? Is that just? R-A-I-S-E, raise.com, uh, like raise the roof. Wow. So how much did that cost to <laughs> get that domain? Not sure. I wasn't involved at that point, but <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't cheap. Yep. Gotcha. Well, cool. Anything else you want to plug before we get to picks? Not right now. Thanks so. Awesome. Well, um, yeah, I'm I'm kinda kinda call the theme of this show, you know, something around just contributing. And it doesn't necessarily even have to be code, but just contributing, just getting involved. And it sounds like you've kind of done all levels of that. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go ahead and do the pitch. Have you ever felt like you're falling behind or that the programming world is moving so fast that it's impossible to keep up? Then there's the issue of where to go to make sure you're up to date. The answer is to join a community dedicated to discussing the latest in JavaScript. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if you got JavaScript Jabber all day? Well, you can, kind of. We've created a Slack community for JavaScript Jabber. That means that you can connect with our listeners and guests on a platform you're most likely already using. Plus, we've set up a Keeping Current channel that pulls stories from across the web to help you know what people are talking about. And coming soon, we'll be holding monthly webinars and roundtable video chats to connect with experts in the community and with each other. So come join us at javascriptjabber.com slash slack. So do you have some picks, some things you want to shout out about? So I am a, a avid life hacker. And I spend a lot of time kind of tracking and optimizing my workflow. I am big into remote work and work-life balance. And I this stems from time I spend with my family. I want to be focused on my family and be present with them. And it's time I spend with work. I, I seek to be very focused and effective. So uh, I figured I'd throw out a couple of picks on my life hacking tools. All right. So... Biggest one I use is OmniFocus. It's a Mac OS X productivity task manager app. It's not cheap, but it is the best out there. So take a look at OmniFocus. Uh, MindNode to, to do brainstorming and to do any planning. I then use SleepCycle to track my sleep and LifeCycle to track where I spend my time during the day. LifeCycle does this really cool donut graph that checks Wi-Fi and where you go through your phone and gives you an idea of where you spend your time during the day. And yeah, so that's 
those are kind of the, some of the cool things. For example, and, and I also use Zapier to throw in tasks automatically into my OmniFocus. So whenever I like a tweet, for instance, or whenever I schedule a meeting, those end up as tasks in my OmniFocus tied in through Zapier. So uh, that's how I run my life. Yeah, I, I use Zapier for all kinds of stuff, and it just makes things a lot easier. Super cool. Yeah, it's it's a terrific tool. A few other things that I'm just going to pick. One of them is a talk that was given, I think it was at JS Remote Conf a couple of years ago by Kent C. Dodds. He gave a terrific talk about uh, setting up and contributing to open source projects. So I will I will pick that. And then um, I'm also going to pick the JavaScript Jabber Slack. And this is a Slack channel. I need to rename it because it's not really about Slack. <laughs> but it's a community of people. Um, I actually charge $10 a month, and I'm planning to use that money to basically bring in speakers to come and talk cool. to the group. And then also just host a, a monthly call where people can jump in and one of the members of the Slack can present something if they'd like. And um, I feel like it's kind of a user's group, but it's a global group. Um, and I know a lot of people are out in the world, not near a city like Chicago or Salt Lake City. Um, and so they don't really have the opportunity to interact with the community, and I would like to fix that. So anyway, I, I'm just going to put that out there. If you're interested, go to javascriptjabber.com slash Slack. Um, I'm working on getting uh, all of our past guests invited into the Slack and things like that. So it's been a little bit of a setup process. By the time this goes out, though, it'll probably be well on its way because I think this is going to go out sometime in August. So anyway, um, yeah, just, just keep an eye out. Come join us. It's going to be awesome. Um, Very Mark, cool. If people want to connect with you, maybe on Twitter or GitHub or email you about stuff or anything like that, what are the best ways to kind of find you and find what you're working on? So Twitter's a great way, twitter.com slash Mike Hostetler, M-I-K-E-H-O-S-T-E-T-L-E-R. Or you can visit me on my website, mike-hostetler.com, and use the contact form there. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this show up. Thanks again for coming, Mike. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we'll catch everyone in a week with another story. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.